Hello and greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us, and we're so glad for your interest in spiritual matters. My name's Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. John writes in 2 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. We can see from this passage that even in the first centuries, the first century wanes, there are already some disputes about the nature of Jesus, who he was. Is he God? Is he human? How can he be both God and human? What is the relationship that he has with his father? These and many other questions would end up being debated hotly in the centuries after Jesus' death. These questions <clears throat> that we're about to explore may seem arcane or odd to us today. You know, a lot of people would wonder why we even should bother studying these things. It's true that there's not a whole lot in the way of application in terms of some of these issues when it comes to the nature of Jesus. And we're not God. And as Isaiah put it so well in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are the ways of God higher than our ways, and the thoughts of God higher than our thoughts. And so we, we are dependent upon God's revelation about himself and about his son to understand anything about about Jesus. On the other hand, there is a danger. In Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, some of the works of the flesh includes uh, sects and heresies. We don't want to fall into those things. And the reason why it's important to talk about these historic issues is not because there is agreement on them, although, actually, in the majority of churches across the country, however they may uh, claim to be, there's actually a great amount of uh, agreement on many of the things that we're going to discuss. As one elder put it well, that I was acquainted with, said that uh, we occasionally have to spray for things. Like you spray for insects, we need to spray for certain kinds of heresy, certain kinds of ways of looking at Jesus and God that are not right. Because a lot of times we develop our theology, whether we want to admit it or not, in our heads. We all have an idea of how God must be. We have an idea of how Jesus must be. And any such thoughts that we have must be properly conditioned by Scripture. And if they're not properly considered, uh, conditioned by Scripture, we should not have them. In Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 9, the preacher said that there's nothing new under the sun. And a lot of times these heresies that we're going to discuss creep back in. And they take different forms, uh, or perhaps they take the same form. 
some people start speculating, start wondering some of the same questions and go down some of the same rabbit trails and the same false uh, tracks that people before have gone. And so for that reason, it's good to take some time and consider these issues. And we're going to begin this time by looking at three of the controversies around the nature of Jesus the Christ. Adoptionism, Docetism, and Arianism. We begin with adoptionism. Adoptionism is also called dynamistic monarchianism. Now, dynamistic monarchianism is distinct from modalistic monarchianism. Monarchianism is the rule of one, or, or singularity. Uh, modalistic monarchianism is modalism. And that is a heresy that posits that the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are not distinct persons, but are all one person in different forms. It was suggested also as a way of trying to understand the Godhead, but one that fails at many points. Uh, fails in terms of Jesus' baptism, fails when Jesus in John 8 appeals to himself and his Father as distinct witnesses. Uh, and as was uh, lampooned by its critics, so was patripassionism would have caused the Father to have suffered on the cross with the Son, and that when the Son was praying, he was praying to himself. Uh, but that particular heresy, no less pernicious, is actually about the nature of God in totality. It's not about Jesus specifically. And so uh, there are other opportunities that we will have, Lord willing, to talk more about modalism. But uh, it's the difference dynamistic monarchianism, dunamis, is power. It's just the rule of one in power, so to speak. And, and so why is it called dynamistic monarchianism? Well, adoptionism was actually a very early heresy. Uh, perhaps even as early as the late 1st century, uh, and also prevalent among those uh, who were Jewish Christians. And the idea of adoptionism is that Jesus was a regular person, just a regular human being, very good human being, though many would add, until God adopted him. And the reason why somebody would claim that is that this is somebody who's, who's trying to do the same thing uh, as a modalist is doing. They're trying to make sense of how God is one and they're assuming God must be one person. That's why it was very prevalent around among the Jews, who have always insisted that uh, the unity of God is unity in personhood. And so how can God be one person, but Jesus is God? Well, the Jesus is actually adopted as the Son of God with power. And um, that power was the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was baptized, like in Matthew chapter 3. And his past sin as a man was cleansed at baptism, in the to some who believed that adoptionism. And it was, of course, it's that, that cleansing to fill all righteousness, so to speak, in their view, that allowed for Jesus to now become the Son of God. In Mark 1, 9-11, Luke 3, chapter 3, verse 20 and 22. Uh, the Spirit is enabled to work powers in him, as we can see in Luke 4 and other passages where the Spirit dwells upon him and moves forward. And in this view, it's after the resurrection that Jesus becomes fully part of God. There was a variant of this called Adoptianism. It was in 8th century Spain that there was another belief that Jesus was not really the Son of God, but was adopted as Son of God. And as, whereas it, Adoptionism would make a lot of sense of passages where, uh, today I have begotten you. Uh, emphasizing today in Psalm chapter 2. And these passages that talk about why Jesus was baptized, why the Spirit would have to be on Jesus. While well, I would try to make sense of those passages, there are a lot of challenges with this idea of adoptionism. And one actually comes from the, the Gospel of Luke. 
we look at how Luke sets forth his gospel when um, he appears to Mary in Luke chapter 1. Uh, Gabriel says that uh, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That this was already being presaged, that he was already at his birth, seeing that he was going to be this amazing person. Um, no one could say, well, the angel would know that he would be the kind of person who would become adopted by God. But against that, we can look in chapter 2, where we have a very important story uh, at the end of chapter 2, in verses 41 through 51, where during the Passover, when he is 12, this family goes on home, but act toward home, but uh, they have, for, Jesus is been left in the temple, and so they've been searching Jerusalem frantically, and they find him in the temple, and he's been asking questions and answering questions with the with the teachers there, and they're astounded at his wisdom, and they and and this his parents are asking, what have you done to us? Why didn't you come with us? And did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they were astonished at what he said. That is hard to reconcile with the idea that he was not the son of God until he was baptized. Because this is long before he was baptized, uh, according to the story. Likewise, in John chapter 1, verse 14, John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He did, it did not say that the word was adopted, or Jesus was the adopted word. No, no, that, Jesus, that the word became flesh. That very way of putting it uh, very much suggests that from birth, Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, in Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27, Jesus is the fully legitimate son of the Father from the voice of the Father during his transfig during transfiguration of Jesus while he was on earth, before he was raised from the dead. And in Ephesians 1, 5, we are adopted as sons of God through Jesus. How can we do that if Jesus himself adopted? And this is why adoptionism was re rejected. Uh, there are ways to reconcile that God is one yet three persons without stripping uh, the Christ child of his divinity. Because the scriptures attest that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of Man and the Son of God from birth. At no point do they indicate that Jesus is God's adopted Son in any way, shape, or form, but speak of Jesus in a figure as his begotten, in Hebrews 1 and verse 5, and we'll have reason to come back to that in a minute. And so, this is why Christians have rejected adoptionism and recognized that Jesus of Nazareth is the Word made flesh, the Son of Man, Son of God, God the Son, and was that way from birth. The second heresy that came about, the controversy about Jesus came about, is, is called Docetism. And that's really what we're getting at there in 2 John chapter 1. Why was John insisting that um, who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh? Well, Docetism is the belief that Jesus of Nazareth was not really God in the flesh. That he was God, seemed to be flesh, but not really flesh. And this kind of takes one of two permutations. In the Gnostic world, uh, what, what John is, 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 looking, is talking about, what maybe incipient Gnostics, uh, this would be the idea that God would never have taken on flesh. Uh, that God would never have done such a thing. And therefore, Jesus only seemed to be human, perhaps something like a hologram or something. So he didn't really live in, as human in the flesh, really therefore didn't die and was not raised again. 
likewise. Uh, uh, perhaps others, and maybe this is also seen in a confused way in Islam, in, in the Quran, Surah 4, verse 156, is the idea that Jesus was human, since they denied his, his divinity. Uh, but uh, they claim that he did not really die. That Jesus the human did not, he only seemed to die. Uh, or that somebody else took his place. And uh, he went back to the Father. He went back to Allah in the view of Islam. But again, that's a denial of Jesus' death, and therefore also of his resurrection. Now, this re do docetism comes from the Greek word dokeo to seem. And it's because this view, view made it seem like Jesus was human, or it's made it seem like Jesus died, but denying that such, in fact, was the case. And in this view, everything that's related to Jesus' humanity is really to be interpreted metaphorically. Um, that Jesus really didn't do anything in the flesh, he just seemed to. He wasn't really crucified. Uh, some suggested it was really Simon of Cyrene who suffered on the cross, not Jesus. Uh, and thus, the resurrection did not happen. The resurrection of the flesh was impossible. And of course, in Second John uh, 6-11, as we saw, that uh, many were denying that Jesus came in the flesh, that if anybody came in your house, you should not accept the person, not even um, give him any greeting, to not take part in his wicked works. In the first letter that John had written in chapter 4, uh, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so here that same spirit is called the Spirit of the Antichrist. And so docetism um, presented this major challenge. And it, and it makes sense. As the adoptionism were, were involved, oftentimes involved Jewish Christians who fully believed in Jesus as hum, the human son of man, trying to make some sense of the claims that Jesus is God. Here, we see people who, try, who, who come from a matrix whereby the idea that God would become flesh just seems ridiculous and have no difficulty with the idea of Jesus being divine, but have a hard time with the idea that he was human, or that if he was human, that he would have died and was raised again. But in the New Testament, John is perceiving that you can't deny Jesus' death and to continue to hold to the faith. Because if you deny Jesus' death, that means he was not raised. And as Paul has set forth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then the dead are not raised, that uh, our preaching is in vain, our, our faith is in vain, and we are still in our sins. And that is the greatest importance. Christianity is a fraud. Christianity cannot be if Jesus did not truly die and was not truly raised from the dead. The virgin birth story is irrelevant if Jesus was never really flesh in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. You cannot accept the Old the New Testament is written and accept the idea that Jesus did not come in the flesh. And that is why Docetism has been rejected as a heresy, and that also, uh, for those who would claim that Muhammad has is a true prophet, uh, this is a complete variance with Christianity. Uh, Muhammad's view of Christianity, if in, if in fact Jesus did not really die, was not raised again, then Christianity is a completely false religion. And yet Muhammad would claim that Christians are people of the book. 
uh, and yet everything they believe is completely false if Muhammad is, is, is accurate. And, and therefore, Muhammad has not fully understood his source, has fully understood the implications of the Christian religion. And that is something uh, that definitely makes his testimony suspect. Uh, because it is saturated with some of these ancient heresies. So indeed, Jesus of Nazareth is the Word made flesh, but really also was flesh. The third controversy that we're going to look into uh, right now is Arianism. Arianism is a late 3rd and early 4th century heresy that led to the Council of Nicaea. And it was perhaps one of the most popular heresies of the day. Uh, it comes from a, a, a bishop named Arius, and Arius was trying to make sense of the nature of Jesus. And the reason why it became so prominent was, in fact, it looked that perhaps after Nicaea, that Asian bishops would actually win the day again, that there was going to be a reversion toward uh, Arianism, uh, that, in fact, Athanasius uh, f was able to finally be successful with uh, Council Constantinople and and, and actually what, we, what people call the Nicene Creed is actually the Nicaeo-Constantinopolitan Creed. Um, Aryan missionaries were the ones who actually converted a lot of the German hordes that overran the Western Roman Empire uh, in the middle of the first millennium. And it would take a lot of time to deconvert them out of Arianism and toward a more quote-unquote orthodox Catholic, uh, Christianity. Um, Arianism. Uh, is the belief that the Son was created by the Father. Recognized Him as the greatest of the Father's creation, but created nonetheless and subordinate to the Father. Eris was from Alexandria. He presented the idea. It made sense to him in terms of how the Son could be subject to the Father and really based in the Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 23 and 24, where... Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with waters. This is talking about wisdom. And wisdom was often directly associated with the Logos, thus the Word. It was also justified by Jesus' declaration that the Father was superior to him in John 14, verse 28. And in John chapter 17, verses 20-26, the idea that if we could be one with God as God is one within himself, um, indicates that God is not a trinity, but a union of thought and will. That's what Arius and his followers suggested. And, of course, there's Psalm 2-7, quoting Hebrews 5, To this day I have begotten you. And so the Arians are taking the idea of begetting quite seriously. And for that reason it was seductive. It explains how Jesus is begotten of God, and how he subordinate up to him. But the doctrine presents a lot of challenges, and this is what was pointed out in the 3rd and 4th centuries. Uh, most forcefully by Athanasius. That Arianism must make Jesus God, not by being in the same substance, but of being like substance. So how can you have two things of like substance, not the same substance, and yet still really have one God? Arianism is definitely heading a bit more toward at least a position of of having two gods. So more like bi-theism. Uh, maybe toward even tritheism. But perhaps the biggest challenge, and this is the one that Athanasius pointed out, we see in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, and Paul describes how the 
Gentiles had gone so wrong in all of their uh, service to idols and then to their degeneracy, Paul points out that God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonor of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Well, what, what Athanasius and others point out was, well, here, Paul said that worship is due to the Creator, not the creation, not the creature. And in Matthew 20, 20, John 20, 28, and many other places, Jesus received worship. Received the worship that would be due to God. Which makes complete sense if Jesus, as the Word of God made flesh, is the Creator, but runs afoul of what Paul says if Paul is, if Jesus is actually part of the creation. There's also point out the begotten can refer to relationship and not actual derivation. That the only begotten uh, shows uh, the monogamies that were there can really just refer to the uh, of greatest importance uh, uh, in terms of relationship. Also, Paul will put a different spin on it in, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, where the declaration of the Son of God is with power. That there's a beginning in the resurrection. And that's the begotten nature that is under discussion. Likewise, they posited that the God the Son could be subordinate to God the Father in a divine hierarchy, but still be of the same substance. That you didn't have to turn Jesus into part of the creation for Jesus to be able to be subordinate to the Father. In fact, you look at the Holy Spirit being uh, proceeding from at least the Father, and you can see an example of some level of subordination, yet of the same substance, still of spirit. And the great question that I've been asked, how can there be a time when the Word was not if the Word is God? There's a lack of timelessness there that causes difficulties. And of course, the whole question was kind of forced by Constantine at the, at the Council of Nicaea. Uh, Nicaea was not to put the Bible together and was not about 95% of the things that you've probably heard that Nicaea was about. Nicaea was called primarily because of Arianism, and it is where Arianism is declared heretical. That at the Council of Nicaea, the Son is affirmed to be the same substance, homoousia in Greek, as the Father. And it also affirms that the Son is a distinct being in existence or reality, the word hypostasis, uh, which we kind of become more like person later. He's uh, in reality, thus able to be subordinate to the Father, person's prosopon, excuse me. Uh, Jesus is God in essence, which is the Greek word usia. And the reason we give these Greek words is because in later controversies, as we'll see in another time, Lord willing, uh, the very nature of these terms, these precise words, are argued endlessly. Uh, as people try to deal with the consequences of what what they what to understand the nature of Jesus from the from the basis of Scripture. It was a very uh, disputed creed, as we said, until about 381, and the Council of Constantinople reaffirms Nicene's creed, and it meant that Arianism was rejected. But these words and definitions, as we said, will lead to future controversies. It's very difficult, you know, something might say, what's the importance of these things? But it's important to recognize that there are challenges of Arianism, the suggestion that Jesus is part of the creation, uh, that really do justify its rejection. In fact, to this day, uh, there's forms of Arianism among us today, especially among the Jehovah's Witnesses and groups like that, uh, that are still following after many of the same things and returning to these same heresies. So that's why it's important for us to recognize that Jesus of Nazareth is the Word made flesh, the same substance as the Father, the essence of God, distinct in existence, yet subordinate to the Father. John 1, 1, 14, Colossians 2, 9, and John 14, and verse 28. 
And so, we've seen some of these early Christological controversies, their disputes over the nature of Jesus as God and man. And I want to make it very clear that we've, we've thrown out a lot of names, we've thrown out a lot of councils and, 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 and groups coming together and creeds, and there's, there's a lot of skepticism about councils and creeds. You know, these things are coming after Scripture. All of these things, save what we saw from against the Docetists in First and Second John, uh, are things that are dealt with after the apostles are dead, after the Bible has been written, and during the process by which it would become a firm canon. So, how can we be so sure that, that this is right? And the reason is that when we is not based upon the fact that men figured out or that they were figured out in councils or that they were spoken about in creeds. But that, in fact, these heretics were well-intentioned people, perhaps, in many ways. They were trying to come to a better understanding of God. But the thing is, they were trying to smooth over and rationalize many of the, of the things that seemed difficult about the revelation of God in Christ. And what was going on is people would see what they were doing and say, Yes, but. We can understand why you're going there, but... There are all these these things in the Revelation. The problem with Arianism, as we can see, is that it's inconsistent with what God has revealed about Jesus in Scripture. The problem with adoption is the problem with Docetism is that they are against what God has revealed about Himself and about Jesus in Scripture, and that is why uh, we, we can see that what is being said. You know, in the Nicene Creed, on the whole, is consistent with what is said in Scripture. Does that mean that we should make it a creed and have to recite it? Absolutely not. But, it's important to see that the conclusions are consistent with the Word of God compared to that of others. And to realize that part of that divine mystery is recognition that there's a lot of questions we're always going to have, and that we can't entirely smooth it over. That every time we want to make it all smooth, make it all make complete sense, we've most likely uh, fallen into heresy. There's so much about God that is not going to make sense to us. Just as if we lived in a two-dimensional world, a three-dimensional object coming into our world would not make any sense to us. But that does not stop it from being true. So let us affirm that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of Man, the Son of God from birth. Second person of the Trinity, truly God and truly flesh, of the same substance as the Father, having the essence of God, uncreated and eternal, as revealed from the pages of Scripture. Hold firm to these truths and serve Jesus as Lord. Thank you for your time, and we hope that you've been encouraged by these things. If you've got some questions about some of these things we've talked about, I'd like to talk about them further. Uh, or maybe you have a prayer request, or want to become a follower of Jesus, or just need to talk, any way that I can be of service, please let me know. Please contact me through my website, deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Or perhaps you are interested in learning more about the Venture to Christ or coming to meet it with us. You can find us online at venturechristchrist.org. And we're also on social media. We again thank you. Have a great day.